No fish have been harmed in the making of this podcast. Welcome aboard, everybody. Thank you for joining me on Talking Bass and PDX. Your bass and warm water forum as we talk fishing in the Northwest. Hi, I'm Don Clark, and I'll be your host. I would like to thank everybody for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I know that your, your time is very valuable. This is your forum for bass and warm water fishing. If you enjoy the show, please tell a friend about the podcast. It will help us grow. I am also pleased to announce that the podcast has now been added to iHeartRadio. We can be found if you do a search of Talking Bass in PDX. If you enjoy this format, let me know by emailing me at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. Well, the weather has been quite warm. In fact, our rainfall is very low for the month of May, and the days are getting longer. But my trim motor on my boat has gone out, and that means that my boat is in the shop, and I will hope to have it out very soon and back on the water. I am missing the spring bite and can't wait to get back out on the water. Well, my guest on this episode is John Cruz. John and I met at the Portland Sportsman Show this past year, and we got talking a little bit about bass. John turns out he is a really good fisherman. And it also turns out that John is from Oregon, grew up here in the uh, Portland area, still lives here in the Northwest. John is also the founder, host, and producer of Northwest Outdoor Radio. This show can be heard on more than 68 stations. Here locally in the Portland area, John can be heard on KPAM. As we talk through the interview, John will give his website, and I will have it in the show notes, so that you can look him up and you can hear the show live. John also has a podcast that you can listen to, and it can be found on many platforms, including iHeartRadio. Well, let's get to the interview with John, and here he is. Well, John, welcome to Talking Bass and PDX, and how are you this afternoon? You know, I'm doing great. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was just over visiting my mother over in Redmond, Washington, and she lives about a quarter mile away from Lake Sammamish. That's where I grew up fishing as a kid, and I couldn't resist heading down to the old county park that I used to fish as a kid, Idlewood Park, had a, had a rod and reel rigged up with a tube bait, had to make a few casts, and sure enough, got a, got a little 12-inch smallmouth bass. It kind of brought back some memories. Well, boy, that just uh, that just starts the show off just how I wanted to. So, I understand you started fishing at a very young age. So, kind of take me through your your formative years of how the types of fishing and how you how you grew up fishing. You know, it really helps when your dad is a fisheries biologist for the state of Oregon. If you want to grow up to be a fisherman, so some of my earliest memories were going out to fish hatcheries in western Oregon and and heading out to Bonneville and the hatchery there, that was really cool. But the the first fishing I remember, there, there's two distinct memories. Number one is every year we'd go see his parents, my grandparents, in Greeley, Colorado, northeast of Denver. 
And there's a park there with a little kid pond, and it was called, uh, you know, Glenmere Pond. And my grandpa taught me how to, you know, rig up a worm and under a bobber, and, and we'd catch bluegill, we'd catch pumpkin seed, we'd catch sunfish, we'd catch catfish, and, and it's like, this is great, and I just loved it. And uh, he took me out to another place called Sealy Lake where we caught carp, you know, using the big, what was it, horse pig or horseshoe corn, and I thought, this is great. And then, you know, my dad and my, my grandfather introduced me to trout fishing on the Poudre River, and then I was absolutely hooked, catching brook trout and cutthroat trout and brown trout and rainbows, and and I was a happy kid. And then meanwhile, back in Oregon, I still remember the first time we fished the Columbia River. Uh, we were shad fishing, and I didn't know anything about fishing. I was like four years old. I knew how to, how to snarl a line when I cast it. That much I knew how to do. And I had cast it out there, and I had snarled up the line, and, and I had a shad on. And I was so excited because, you know, for a kid who's catching bluegills and sunfish, this is like a really big fish. And it's jumping out of the water, and, and my dad's frantically trying to unsnarl this huge snarled line. So all I knew about fishing is what I saw on Gilligan's Island, that you put the pole over your shoulder, and you start walking into shore, and hopefully you drag the fish with you. So that's what I'm doing. And that was my first memory fishing with my dad outside of Colorado. Boy, and I wished I had a video of that. That would be. We did not get. We did not catch the shad. <laughs> <laughs> well, that you know, but the but the thing is, it makes some great memories, you know. And and I started off at a very young age fishing uh, with my dad, and I remember those days when you'd be out there, and boy, when you caught one, it it just it it just ingrained in your mind, you know, just like your story of the shad. You you will never forget that, and that that's just the greatest, you know. Now. As you got a little older, you know, I'm assuming you, you've gotten into a lot of different types of, of fishing. Now, we're going to talk about your show and podcast and, and let folks know how to, how to get a hold of you and how to listen to you, but how did you get into bass fishing and how did you get into warm water fishing? So when I grew up, uh, it was mainly in Milwaukee, Oregon, and we were there till I was 12 years old, and then we moved that summer up towards the suburb of Seattle, Redmond, Washington. And like I said, we, we grew up in a house about a quarter mile away from Idlewood Park on Lake Sammamish, and I ended up meeting my best friend, who is still my fishing partner to this day. We were both like 12, 13 years old, and we met fishing that summer at Idlewood Park, and we were both just hooked on fishing. And we would catch, um, you know, there, there was bass down there, there was big perch. I mean, we're talking 13-inch uh, yellow perch that you could catch down there. In, in the summer months, and there was smallmouth bass, there was largemouth bass, nothing huge. I don't think we ever caught anything over two and a half pounds, but that's how I spent my summer, um, every summer from junior high all the way through high school. Everybody else was, you know, doing sports. I was doing fishing. Boy, there's nothing wrong with that. I, um, as I grew up down in California, we lived near several reservoirs, and we would uh, push our aluminum boat in the back of my old 1953 Chevy pickup, and my brother and I would take off, and off we'd go. It's you know before before the sun came up, and we would spend the whole day out there bass fishing. So, uh, great memories, I'll tell you. And uh, oh, absolutely, it's really fun. Now, with the um, with the way that bass are being perceived right now, I just kind of wanted to get your feeling on, 
you know, what do you what do you think that the regulations are doing for bass fishermen? I, I, I am not happy about the situation. I have friends in the Midwest who are very smart about fishing. They've been in the fishing industry their entire adult life. And, and they look at us out here in the Northwest, and they look at how the states of Oregon and Washington, you know, look upon bass, look upon walleye, and they're scratching their heads saying, what's wrong with you people? We managed to manage steelhead and salmon and bass and walleye, you know, we we're able to do all this with the Great Lakes. Why can't you figure it out over there? And you know, I am sure that there are some smolt, salmon smolt, steelhead smolt that that are you know victims of bass and walleye predation. Of that, I have no doubt. But when you take a look at all the factors that are affecting salmon and steelhead, both outgoing migration and incoming, and it's it's like they're making bass and, and walleye villains, and I think it's really short-sighted because currently we have one of the best walleye fisheries in North America on the Columbia River. We have an excellent smallmouth bass fishery like you and I have talked about before on the Columbia River. We've got lots of lakes that have fantastic bass fishing in Washington and Oregon, and you know here here we're in a situation where the state's actively encouraging you to just keep all of them. You know, we want you to keep all the fish you can. And it's just, it's crazy to me because we don't know what's going to happen to salmon and steelhead runs. I, I'm quite frankly very concerned that there will be a day sooner than later, later that opportunities for both will be very limited. And we might even lose opportunities for both. And when that happens, you know, fishermen and fisherwomen, women, they want to fish and they're going to fish for something. And if we've ruined the bass fishing, if we've ruined the walleye fishing because we've declared war on these, these species, that'll be a really dumb thing for us to have done when we're looking back 10 years from now. Oh, I so agree with you. And I, uh, I just had the opportunity this past weekend to go down to Scapoose Bay, and I wanted to fish the Multnomah Channel. Now, I knew sure. that there were going to be many, many, many uh, salmon fishermen out there because the they had closed the Columbia, they've opened the Willamette, and the Multnomah Channel is available. No problem. We, we weaved our way through the boats. There were around 100 out there, give or take, and, uh, and they're working hard. I mean, these, these folks, you know, there were guides, there were private boats, they're working hard. At the end of the day, when everybody got done, I went over and talked to the, uh, the ODFW person who was counting fish, and I said, hey, how, how many did you, did you get? And they got 10. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, that, that's already a tough day of fishing if there were 10 fish caught. And um, so I, I think really that if folks want to manage their fishery, I think that we're going to have to take it into our own hands and manage it ourselves. I just really don't believe that the government entities are going to be able to help us. And so I've started promoting CPR. Now, this actually comes from kayak fishing, but CPR is catch, photograph, and release. Now, I know that sometimes in salmon you probably couldn't do that, but certainly for bass and, and walleye uh, and, and any other type of warm water fish, certainly you can if you haven't heard it. So, and I'm not saying we can't harvest some fish because there are some fish to harvest, but um, I'm encouraging everybody that I talk to, hey, let's, let's manage this ourselves because obviously... We're not getting any help doing it. So, um, 
I, I just like to throw that in there every time I'm, I'm talking with somebody who's involved with fishing because I want to I want to check their temperature because I know that there are some folks out there that they don't understand that wow well, let's just go catch everything and so right. I was I was fishing with a a biologist uh, a, a little while back and he asked me a question so I'll ask it to you too he says if they were to eliminate a species of fish pick the species you want bass walleye um, any of them he said what do you think would happen with that body of water let's see so let's let's take northern pike minnow no yeah, okay uh, <laughs> so we're going to talk a predatory fish of salmon and steelhead is that any, the parameter yeah. we're talking here yeah sure okay okay i i personally think again getting back to villainizing these fish there's not going to be a whole lot of change given all the other factors at play in terms of survival of these fish both outward and inward on their migration that if you just eliminated one species all you're doing is losing an opportunity to fish is to fish and and i don't think it's going to make a whole lot of difference at all for the overall survival of salmon and steelhead so he looked me right in the eye and said if we eliminated a species we'll say pike minnow just for the sake of this sure. discussion sure he goes something else will replace it it'll just move in that's all. So we That's won't true. we won't eliminate the problem is what I'm trying to say. Um, and 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 pike minnows are are a natural species here in the Northwest. Oh, they, they are. And, and as a matter of fact, they they are a sponsor of our regional show every year, and they go to great pains to explain they are a native fish. We don't want to eradicate them. We're just trying to keep the numbers under control with the sport reward fishery program where you get paid to catch them uh, but they they want to manage them just at manageable numbers um, mm -hmm. so you're right it, it's not a program where they want to get rid of them because they are native so I, I'm not I'm not in favor of eradicating them I have caught pike minnows when we've been out trolling for walleye I'll be honest with you I put them back so um, blame me if there's too many of them in the water because I, I release them I don't think that they should be eradicated just my own personal personal belief well and then there's me looking for a check station hey this is worth some money here <laughs> now I do I do know somebody who caught a tagged one that was five hundred dollars and yes, they are uh, it, long story I don't ever I don't know if they ever got the money or not but I do know that they did they did give the fish to someone and they did turn it in so you know hey if you catch a tagged fish though I you know maybe you ought to turn that one in so yeah if it's worth yeah, that kind of money that, you bet I I completely agree and but we'll get into pike minnow some other time I mean this there, is the talk and bass and the PDX there, show so there you uh, go we, we should talk too much pike minnow no we shouldn't so when you're fishing for bass what is your favorite lure you know when when I I kind of went through phases. When, when I was a kid fishing down at Lake Sammamish, I loved spinnerbaits. I just loved spinnerbaits because, you know, back in the 70s, you'd see, you know, Roland Martin and Bill Dance always fishing spinnerbaits and catching fish. And so that's what we were doing off the docks and out of the canoe. And, and I was really lucky. Back in, oh, about 20, 25 years ago, I lived on a 34-acre reservoir in, in, near Wenatchee, Washington. And it was probably the best warm water 
small lake fishery I've ever had. So when I first moved there, the ethic was pretty much catch and release for the bass. And we'd go out there in May, and we would fish weightless, four-inch weedless worms. You know, little, um, you know, Berkeley power worms with like a, a little curly tail on them. And we would just toss them into the, you know, into the shallows right by structure. And me and my buddy, same buddy that, that I met at Lake Sammamish, he would come over. We would have 100 bass weekends where we would catch like 100, 120 bass. And, you know, a lot of them were like your, your 8 to 12 inches, but you'd get them up to 5 pounds out of there, and it was fantastic. And don't get me started on the bluegill. They still to this day have pounder bluegill, honest to goodness, bluegill that weigh a pound and crappie that measure up to 15 and a half inches long. Wow, that's a fantastic fish. It is. Well, it's a private lake in terms of it's it's a public lake, but there's no public access. You have to live in the development, and so that's why the fishing's always been so good. There's a limited amount of people who fish it. Yeah, I mean that always helps when you can when you can limit the number of people, then the fish have a chance to reproduce right. and grow. So, yeah. so, at any rate, I became this this plastic worm guy, and and then in. In the last few years, I've really fallen in love with crankbaits. And so I think my, my favorite crankbait is a rattle trap. And, you know, whether it's the, the original Bill Lewis rattle trap or Berkeley had a lure back in the day called the Frenzy, and now they've got one I absolutely love called the War Pig. It's a really heavy, leveless crankbait. And it is a not just a bass magnet but a walleye magnet, too. I've had great success out of Potholes Reservoir in eastern Washington with that. And I also like, uh, you know, um, just medium to deep diving crankbaits, whether it be the the Warden's Timber Tiger um, or the Berkeley Digger, you know, that are going down about that, that 12 to 15 foot range and you're banging it off the rocks and you're just hooking it in the smallmouth. Uh, I I just love crankbait fishing these days. And when I was um, and when I was young, I I probably followed your same lead. I remember throwing um, crankbaits. And and I don't remember the brands. Uh, my dad would usually always buy them, but they would they were deep divers, and you'd you'd bang them off the rocks, just as you're saying. But when we moved to Oregon, oh, almost 40 years ago now, uh, I really got into plastics, and I really got into finesse fishing, Carolina rig, because I like that sensitivity feel when that bass sucks that bait into its mouth, and. Now it's a war. It's between you and me, fish. And if I set that that hook, it's on. And and so with the crankbait, I like the bite. It's a it's an attack hit, but but that's a kind of a power fishing type type technique. But the finesse fishing for me. And so I've been kind of tailoring my rods towards that. So um, I, I really really like that kind of fishing. There's nothing better than putting a lizard on with a uh, you know, with an eighth ounce weight just to hold it down a little bit and just wait till one comes by and, and sucks it in. So, You know, it, it's funny you say that because in the last year, because I got so into crankbaits and I, and I wasn't really fishing plastics anymore, I've had to force myself to, to get comfortable with new plastics. So it started with the tube bait, and my buddy fishes tube baits all the time and has good luck with them, but I just didn't have confidence in them. And, and it took me... I'd say about six, nine months, but I actually have a lot of confidence now in tube baits. That's what I was using today. I've used them on the Columbia River with good success, and, and I've used them at Potholes Reservoir. And, uh, and lately, the latest thing I've learned how to fish is the wacky worm. And, you know, you look at this thing with the hook right through the middle, and mm-hmm. you're not doing anything with it, and you're thinking, 
well, how's that going to work? But it works. It, and it's just, I, I think you just have to get confidence with these things, force yourself to try new things, because it's, it's so easy to get in a rut. And when you do, you know, when you've only got, when you're just a one, two, three trick pony, and those three tricks aren't working, it's going to be a long day of fishing. You're right. You know, you get out there and you've tried your three your three best, and it's still you're not catching anything. And now you're looking around, going, "Okay, what am I going to do?" You know, and that's when I turn to things that I don't use as much, which would be, you know, swim baits and uh, uh, tubes. And uh, now, now fishing a, a worm wacky is one of my favorites on a drop shot. Love doing it because right. again, finesse fishing. Yeah, and I've, I, the, the things I need to learn next as an angler is, number one, I've never really fished chatterbaits, and that's something, and, and I know that's all the rage, and people have a lot of success, so that's the next thing I want to learn how to do well with confidence. And the other thing is uh, uh, shaky worms, you know. I, I've got them. I've got what I need to fish them. Just haven't really had a chance to go out there and catch fish with them using that style yet. So, you know, it, it, it's nice. The people our age, we're still pushing ourselves to learn new things and become better anglers. I, it never ends. Yeah. Now, have you tried uh, any uh, fishing with a Ned rig? I have not yet. I have not done the Ned rig. I know that's another one that is all the rage right now. And the funny thing about the Ned rig is, is that, that it was first introduced, and, I, and I'm sorry, I can't remember the gentleman's name off the top of my head, in the 1950s. And Oh, wow. Yeah, and, it, and it, it went away. It came for a year or two. I believe it was even used in tournament fishing. It went away, and then when Z-Man came back out with their their version of the uh, of the three inch stick, and that's really what it is—a stick. Um, suddenly, Ned rig became all the rage. Now it's it's it is difficult to learn it because we want to over move our bait. This right. one, if you ever try it, fish very slowly. Only give the line enough movement to cause the the, the stick bait to just uh, undulate a little bit. Just move back and forth. If you move the if you move the weight, you're you're fishing it too hard. So. Interesting. And I've gotten good at it, by the way. So. I, I'm yeah. glad you have. Like I said, I, my learning curve's still going, but but that's okay. That that's the joy of bass fishing. It's just, there's just so many techniques, and there's always a new one that you need to learn and try out. Exactly. Now, what's your personal best? Personal best, uh, you know, not that impressive. Five pound largemouth, five point four smallmouth. Never broken six on a bass. And that's because you're fishing a lot up here in the northwest, though, right? That's exclusively. I have never fished. I'm trying to think if I've ever fished for bass outside of the Northwest, and I don't. I haven't. It's always been in the Northwest where I fish for bass. It was uh, kind of interesting. Just before we started uh, the recording, I was actually talking to another fishing friend who had just gotten back from Mexico, from uh, Lake uh, El Soso. El Soso. El Soso. And uh, their first bass of the day was eight pounds. Oh, my and gosh. But that's a Florida strain bass, so right. you you just can't compare that to what we have up here. I enjoy up here the numbers, not necessarily the sizes. So that's just me. Now you pulled this on me, so I'm I'm turning the table around. For those of the you uh, the listening to the show, make sure that you listen to John's show, and we'll tell you about that in just a minute. 
he he got a hold of some of my questions and asked me when I was on his show. So so now the table is now turned. What is the strangest thing you've ever caught? You know, I think it was. So I got two walleye fishing stories because there's two. So the, the one of the very first times I was walleye fishing and trying to catch walleye was um, out of Potholes Reservoir. It was October. We didn't really know a whole lot about walleye fishing at all, so we were just trolling some worm harnesses uh, on some, some max lure double whammies, and we were like, you know, about 11 feet of water, and I had this huge takedown. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've heard there's big walleye in this lake. And I, I'm telling my buddy, it's a 10-pounder. It's 10-plus pounder. This thing's huge. I can't believe my first walleye is going to be a 10-plus pounder. Well, we got it up, and it was a good old bugle lips. It was a carp, and, and, and it wasn't snagged. It was fair hooked, and, and I've been amazed over the years how many carp I have caught fair hooking them, fishing for other things. The other big surprise I got walleye fishing was out on the Columbia River uh, below John Day Dam, and we were fishing crankbaits, and I was uh, with a guy who was kind of a you know, half-time guide, a very, very part-time guide. I'm talking just a couple trips a year, but he had me and another outdoors rider out, and we're uh, trolling with, with crankbaits, and all of a sudden I hook into something, and kaboom, down it goes. And we all knew this was not a walleye. And up it comes, it's a six-foot sturgeon. And so it's like, I look at him, it's like, uh, I guess I'm going to break it off. And he goes, no, that's my favorite crankbait. Don't break it off. <laughs> so, fought that thing on, what was it, 12-pound test for uh, 25 minutes. And we got it up to the boat, and it made one final run after we got, not that we were going to do anything with it anyway, but uh, it made one final run, and it finally threw the hook, and he got his crankbait back. <laughs> nice. Those are the two oddest things I've caught. I, I have not caught a sturgeon uh, it, it, walleye fishing, but I have seen other people catch them, and it's quite a that's quite a fight. Uh, the oh, fact yeah. that you got it that far, <laughs> you did well. You did really well. And so I had this question. I'm still going to ask you because I think it's funny. What's the most extreme thing you've ever done to save your favorite lure or bait? Oh, I've gone swimming several times. Uh, I've gone swimming. In fact, when I was a kid and it was a good lure that you hung up on the lily pads at the bottom, I would put on a snorkel, and I would dive down to free my lure. So I'm not afraid if it's a really good lure uh, to get really wet to go get it. Okay, you're a, you're a several steps ahead of what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> and what have you dropped off of a dock or a boat and watched it sink. Oh, I can go back to last October for this. <laughs> so we were, uh, we were, again, my same buddy. His name's Rusty, by the way, Rusty Johnston. Uh, we'd been prepping to fish this Berkeley Big Bass Tournament for months, and it was supposed to take place October 3rd. It was canceled for COVID, but we said, let's go fishing anyway. So we went out, and we had our game plan of how we are going to win the Berkeley Big Bass Tournament. And for the first Three hours, uh, we caught a total of one eight-inch bass, and that was it. <laughs> the places we thought were going to be the great spots to fish, and then things got worse. I, I put my my uh, fishing pole um, next to the side console, and my buddy was on the front, and he cast back, and he hooked the tip of the rod, 
and mm. went it went into the water, and we're both looking at it, trying to trying to grasp at it. Is that rod and reel and Oh yeah, that Berkeley war pig uh, all went to the bottom, never to be seen again. <laughs> I can't match that story. I've, I've got, I, I have just recently lost my favorite measuring device, but because I knocked it out of the boat. But uh, yeah, I can't beat, I can't beat that one. That's good. Well, what, it, I would have rather have lost the measuring device. Let's put it that way. I can yeah. tell you this though: that that disastrous day turned out to be. One of the best fishing afternoons the two of us ever had. We find we found a spot, and and we we just found this little zone. There was this nice shelf with a drop off, and over the space of two hours, we could not keep the fish off the hook. And we caught about 15 pounds of smallmouth bass. You know, the largest was three and a half, but I mean, lots of two plus pounders. Caught a 7.2 pound walleye. Caught another four and a half pound walleye, all on crankbaits, and it was just amazing. So. You know, even a bad a bad morning of fishing can turn into a great afternoon on a good day. Exactly. So let's talk about that a little bit because uh, that was the Berkeley Northwest Big Bass Tournament that just happened uh, just a couple, three weeks ago, right? Right. Oh, we, so, we had been prepping like maniacs for this tournament. We thought we had a little bit of advantage because, you know, it, it was our home lake. So we've been fishing Potholes Reservoir literally for like, 10 months, you know, thinking the tournament was going to be back last May, and then it was supposed to be in October, and then it finally went off uh, April 10th, and there was a ton of interest in this tournament because there was some really good payouts. I mean, number one, unlike a regular tournament where you bring in your five bass, there was seven hourly weigh-ins, and if you're using an Abu Garcia rod and reel, and you are limited to just Berkeley baits, by the way, uh, but if you're using Abu Garcia rod and reel, and you bring in the biggest bass of the hour, it's a $3,000 fish. And then there was, they paid down, second place was 500 fifth place was 150 but that's every hour. And so we're thinking, oh, this is good. We've got a shot here. So on top of that, the seven hourly winners all get a key at the end. And one of those keys starts a Skeeter bass boat worth $40,000, and they get to take that home in addition to their winning check. That sounds like a lot of fun, but let's talk about your adventures out there on the water. <laughs> well, uh, we we were registered with 200 other boats. It was the, the biggest bass tournament in Washington State in recent years. And, you know, come, come the morning of launch, the weather forecast was not good. It was blowing 15 to 20 when we launched. In fact, it was closer to 20 than 15. And... Uh, and the forecast was 20 to 30 mile an hour winds, and they actually gusted up to 37 mile an hour winds that day. So it was awful. I mean, we we've got an older 16 foot Starcraft, and uh, we're taking lots of spray over the bow. In fact, it was it was so rough we had to change plans. We were going to make a long run. We decided we better make a short run um, and and fish the you know a lot closer than we were going to. So uh, we get lots of water over. We get to a, a place that's out of the wind. It's like, well, let's just regroup here, you know, get out of the wind, regroup, make a couple casts and figure out what we're going to do. Very first cast, very first cast I make with a, a jig and a craw, the good old black and blue jig and a craw, pound and a half largemouth. It's like, nice. I mean, not a winner, but great way to start the day. Ten minutes later, my buddy catches a three-pounder. Nice. Not big enough to weigh in, but still, this is promising. So we should have gone left. We went right into a bay. 
didn't find any fish for about 45 minutes, and all of a sudden, uh, the electric trolling motor, the fuse blows. And, and, you know, it's windy. I mean, it's really windy. It's, it's going 20 to 30, and we don't have an electric trolling motor. So I'm thinking, this is bad. He goes, well, fortunately, I've got a spare fuse. So he puts in the spare fuse. Life is good again for 45 minutes. And we think what happened is water got in somewhere in the wiring harness because it blew out that second fuse. And so it's 8.30 in the morning. Tournament goes till 3 o'clock. And we have no front bow electric motor. You can guess how the rest of the day went. Yeah, it's pretty hard to control any kind of boat without a front bow motor. Oh, and then they have that awful. kind of wind blowing. Yes. It, you know, we, we tried with the main motor, but, you know, you, you just can't use a 40, 50 horse motor and try to, try no. to fish. I mean, you're going a minimum of three, four miles an hour, and that just doesn't work. And so then we tried, well, let's find a likely spot. Let's find a beaver hut and anchor up. But the wind was just so ferocious that even with, you know, just a, a traditional anchor, we were just swaying all over the place, and it, it just wasn't working. So in desperation, towards the end of the day, we found a tributary off the reservoir, and we knew it was really skinny, and we'd pre-fished it, and there had been no fish. But it's like, well, we're desperate. We have, you know, sometimes smallmouth are up here. They weren't here yesterday. They weren't here last week. Maybe maybe they're in this afternoon. So we go up there. There's about four other boats that all have the same idea that we do just to get out of the wind, and uh, nobody's catching anything. So the other boats all leave. There's like 45 minutes left in the tournament. They said, let's go back up to that one place where we caught them in the past in this, in this tributary. So we went up there, and all of a sudden get a great takedown. And I'm thinking, oh, I've got a good smallmouth. And there was a side pot for smallmouth bass. And now I don't remember, they didn't say how much money it was going to be, but I'm pretty sure it was going to be like four or $500. So I'm excited. It's like, oh, nobody's weighed in a smallmouth yet. I've got a good one. We're in the money. Pull that sucker up. It was a beautiful, gorgeous trout. 17-and-a-half-inch rainbow <laughs> trout. <laughs> yep, my buddy just started laughing at me. Got a nice picture. He got a trout for the smoker, but uh, no bass winnings for us at the Berkeley Big Bass Tournament. Well, even though it sounded like a challenging day, and I realized that you know you didn't, didn't, get, didn't hit all the gold, it sounded like you guys had a great time. Uh, you know, part of the, the, the biggest victory, I think, was just surviving all that wind. Apparently, a boat sunk during that tournament. A number of boats, just when that wind really came up, you know, when it went from that 20 to 30, a lot of them turned around that morning, came back, trailered up, and just went home. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. There was still probably a good 150 boats that fished the entire day, but it was really, really rough on that lake. Normally, we would never fish that kind of weather. It was just because of the tournament we did. Yeah, and I mean, uh, you got down at the end of the day, getting your boat back on the uh, trailer must have been a bit of a challenge. Uh, took my partner four tries, and it was amazing because he, <laughs> he'd rev it up, you know, just trying to get that trailer speed, so to speak, and uh, and he just blew sideways so quick all four times. I mean, it, it's, yeah, fourth time he finally got it, figured out the, the right combination of angle and when to gun it, but man, oh man, that was... Uh, that was something else. It's uh, wow. it's a day I wouldn't go out fishing if it wasn't for a tournament. Well, I hope that you guys get another opportunity, though, to go out on a good day and and go out and fish a tournament because uh, they can be so much fun. Uh, they're, they're a lot of work, but they can be so much fun. So I, I hope you guys get another shot at it. Well, we've uh, fished some small ones before, and, and we will again because I'm with you. I, I just love the competitive nature 
of these these tournaments. It really just you, you really bring your A game to fishing when you're doing one of these, and you really think about the day in a whole different way than when you're just fun fishing. Absolutely, yeah. You really the the juices are really going. Now I got one more little thing I want to ask, and then we're going to head off to your radio show. And we're going to talk about about the uh, the show. So. Now, I've heard the difference between a good fisherman and a great fisherman is attitude. Now, you probably know that you've encountered times when fish can be really finicky and, eh, frankly, hard to catch. At these uh, times like this, you know, how do you keep your edge? Um, in general, how do you cope with times like that? You know, I'd like to say that, that I do maintain that positive attitude all day, every day, but let's face it. Uh, I, I'd be lying about that as much as I, I am about the size of some of the fish I catch if I said that. So <laughs> some days it's tough. Some days, as you know, everything goes wrong. The, the line gets snarled. You're snagging up, it seems, every time you turn around. The rod and reel goes over the boat. I mean, there's some days where it's really tough to keep that I'm going to catch a fish on the next cast attitude all day long. But other days, you know, like you do keep that attitude, and you have to because once you give up mentally, you may as well go in. I mean, if you if you're if if you're in your mind thinking to yourself you're not going to catch fish, um, you're not going to catch fish. I'm absolutely convinced of that. I, I do want to share one thing with you. I don't think we've talked about yet that I just found out about. Please, please do. So, Bassmaster Classic, Lake Ray Roberts, Texas, north of Fort Worth. Um, got an invitation as a media member to attend. I've gotten them in the past because of the national show I have. I've never done it. Uh, but this year, I'm doing it. So got a hold of the communications manager at Bassmaster. Turns out you can sign up. Doesn't mean it's guaranteed, but you can sign up to be a, a media marshal, where basically you're just verifying the weight of the fish and, and uh, texting it to the folks at Bassmaster, and you're on the boat there. Uh, but you can go out on a practice day or even a competition day and spend the whole day with one of the 64 competitors fishing the Bassmaster Classic. So definitely signed up for that. I'm hoping I get lucky enough to get on a boat, and I don't care who it's with. I'm just really looking forward to probably learning more about bass fishing in eight hours than I've learned in the last eight years. Well, that is really exciting news. I was going to ask you about it, but it was kind of next on my list. And uh, the fact that you ha might have an opportunity to go out with a uh, a pro will probably will put a topper on this. So, congratulations on that one because that's going to be cool. I I did an interview a while back of uh, one of the Oregon State uh, uh, fishing team members. And he was friends with a couple of uh, top-name pros. And, boy, to listen right. to him talk, oh, my goodness, what, a, what an adrenaline rush this will be for you. Well, you know, maybe you should check into going to the Bassmaster Classic and covering it yourself. It does sound like it's going to be a ton of fun between the, uh, you know, they actually have a media day where you can interview, you know, any of the anglers that you want to. They've, they've got their boats there. You just walk up the boat, wait your turn, obviously, if they're a popular one, but do a short interview with them. They've got uh, the big outdoors expo there. It's like a big sportsman show just for bass fishing. And then, of course, they got the weigh-ins every day. And you know, even on the practice days, the college championship and the kayak bass fishing championship right after that. So, I mean, it's going to be a ton of fun. Pretty sure I'll have a couple, at least a couple of shows recorded out of that event. 
Oh, I hope so. I, uh, but I hadn't thought about it for myself. But you know, it's, uh, I believe it's in Texas this year, right? It is. Just it's yeah. in Fort Worth. And the one thing that's weird is they're having the the fishing at Lake Ray Roberts, which is about forty five minutes north. But the weigh-in is at an arena in downtown Fort Worth. So I guess they all trailer their boats and <laughs> drive on down and uh, go to Fort Worth and do the weigh-in, and then they, they head back to the state park and either stay the night there or wh- wherever they're going to stay before the next day. Right. Well, that's interesting, interesting. Now, uh, the reason that I had you on the show, uh, not only are you a good fisherman, but uh, you and I met at the Portland uh, Outdoor Show, the Sportsman Show, and as you may know, this podcast started because of another gentleman that had a radio show for about 23 years in Portland, and uh, it was a fishing report type show, and I wanted to get these long-form interviews so that I could listen to them when I wanted to, and of course, my audience can too. So when I found your show, I immediately got hooked. I can't turn your podcast off during the day. I'm listening to each and every one of them. Some of them I've listened to a couple of times, so... Tell my listeners about your show, what you cover, how how they can listen, uh, all the information. Well, first off, thank you so much for the kind words. Second, I really wish that Hobart Man and Jack Glass still had their shows on KPAM, uh, AM860, The Answer. That's I'm lucky enough to be there now. Um, the station sold, and, and the previous owners took those shows off the air. They just for whatever reason, decided they didn't want fishing shows anymore. But after it sold, uh, the new owners, the new programming manager, they wanted a fishing show, and, and I was the one guy that was still available in the area. So I got on there, and I'm, I'm very grateful. So we have the, the regional show, Northwestern Outdoors Radio, that covers the five northwestern states, all the contents northwest-based. And it covers not just fishing and hunting and conservation issues, but also uh, lots of other outdoor recreation stuff. So you might hear about river rafting or hiking or camping or paddling or destinations or maybe you know bicycling the route of the Hiawatha which is this really cool rail trail along the Montana Idaho border so that's the regional show uh, America Outdoors Radio or national show very much a hook and bullet show it's all about fishing all about hunting sometimes we'll throw some of the shooting sports in there and then we usually throw some conservation issues in there as well yeah so it's a, it's a little bit tough for me to listen down here where I live, which is south of Portland, where the you know radio uh, doesn't get to too often, but uh, I have been in the car headed to breakfast on Saturday mornings, and I crank that thing up to KPAM and uh, and listen away because uh, the, the the things that you bring are really really interesting. So um, you know keep up the good work, um, keep those podcasts going out because I keep clicking through them looking for a new one. So um, I really do enjoy those. Got to upload my next one tonight. Right after we're done talking, that's my next task and things to do today. <laughs> so uh, now your website is uh, northwestoutdoors.com. And Northwestern, northwesternoutdoors.com. Sorry, northwesternoutdoors.com. You can find a lot of information about John there. Now, I have found your podcast on iHeartRadio. Are you on other platforms? We're, we're on Pandora, we're on Spotify, uh, we're on Podbean, uh, we're on YouTube. Um, most, I'd say quite a few. Oh, Apple, Apple Pod, Apple uh, Podcasts as well. So, uh, if you want to listen to either show, the best way to do it is just search for America Outdoors Radio or 
America Outdoors Radio podcast, and you'll find both shows as podcasts that way. And for those listeners, I'll put all that information in the show notes so that if you if you didn't catch it, you just look down in my show notes and you'll you'll have the information. Well, John, it's been great. We I had scheduled you for a half an hour. I took a little bit more time than than uh, than allotted, but gosh, this was just a fun, great conversation. It was. It was a ton of fun. Can't wait to get you back on my radio show again. And yeah, let's definitely keep in touch and let's do this again. All right, thanks, John. And there he goes, John Cruz. I'd like to thank John for taking the time, and I hope that you'll check out John's show and his podcast. Well, this wraps up this episode for Talking Bass and PDX. I sure hope you enjoyed the show. It was great just to talk a little bit about fishing and and some of the stories that uh, John has. For show ideas and feedback, email me at gonefishingpdx at gmail.com. Again, I will have that in the show notes. And I would like to thank everybody. Until next time, this has been Don Clark, Talking Bass in PDX, and I'll see you on the backcast. Thank you.